Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face. and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Hey, go to www.hotm.tv and discover an updated way to view our shows, the ability to purchase a number of products and support your, that support your intellect and the ministry, and connect you to other uh, websites that we uh, are associated with. Let me just take you uh, through one minute of our ministry web stuff. We started with one site, www.bornagainmormon.com, and uh, that is still in operation and is loaded with insights about our method, ministry, philosophy, purpose, etc. Then we established www.hotm.tv, heart of the matter, hotm.tv, and this is has an archive on it, video archive that could choke a horse. I mean, there are coming up on 300 or more hour-long videos on that. Uh, and we're in the process of upgrading this so that the screen is bigger and the picture is clearer. Uh, all of Heart of the Matter uh, shows can be seen at hotm.tv, so check that out. And uh, you can also partner up uh, with us there, purchase books, stuff like that. Find out when the next open water baptisms and burning heart. And then we've, uh, we're developing campus, C-A-M-P-U-U.com. And campus, um, every Sunday I have the honor and privilege to teach verse by verse through uh, the Bible in the morning and the afternoon, two different studies. And we film those, uh, audio them, and we're uploading those to the site as well. So you can go through the Bible uh, Matthew in the morning, Romans in the afternoon. And finally, we have the artistic arm of Aletheia. That's Aletheia Media that has uh, produced Girl and the upcoming Boy and the Word of God set to music. So more and more of these things are coming as the Lord leads. Um, Aletheia Media is also working on another television program to launch in January of 2012, Lord willing. And so that will be streamed and archived as well. We look forward to introducing that to you if all the uh, things line up. So we thank God for the ministry. We're always grateful for those of you who support it in whatever way. And uh, Aletheia Ministries also supports the Salt Lake Rescue Mission. Uh, we have for immediate release, winter coat and sock drive. Please bring any new socks and any new or like new coats to the lobby of KTMW TV 20, located at 314 South Woodward Road, between the hours of 9 
a.m. and 3 p.m. And these items will be donated to the rescue mission of Salt Lake and the women's mission at the Rescue Haven. We did this last year, maybe the year, just last year, Derek? Year before? Just last year, so this is our second year of doing it. And uh, he, he, Derek called over tons of uh, things last year, so we hope we can continue to do that. These people need these things, so we hope you can participate in them. On Monday, December 5th at 7 p.m. at the Gateway Movie Theaters downtown, join us for the premiere of Boy. It's the second of a three-part cinematic series. The premiere is free. We're going to be re-screening Girl at the same time. Before we premiere Boy, take a look at the clip. We hope you'll take the time to join us there. That is Monday, December 5th, uh, 7 p.m. Kids 12 and up, especially teens, youth groups, mark your calendars and get there early. Have you got a copy of the docudrama, A Mormon President? It can be yours for a minimum gift of uh, uh, 25 clams. Do we have it ready? Nada. So. Uh, additionally, we're doing a pre-sale offering of our newest book, and we believe our most uh, functional book, uh, Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity Face-to-Face, -face, an A to Z doctrinal comparison between Mormonism and Biblical Christianity. Let's take a look at that Mormon president clip right now. Is America ready for a Mormon president? I would love to see Mitt Romney go to the White House. Yes, I think America's ready for a Mormon president. No way a Mormon's going to get in the White House. The odds of him being elected president are zero. What happened when the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith ran for president? If America knew the power seeking that was in Joseph that continues to be in the LDS church today, they would be very frightened to have a Mormon president. Was there a political conspiracy to murder Joseph Smith? Is anti-Mormon prejudice still alive and well in America today? I've gotten several comments of like, you're a Mormon and you're in a cult. Their doctrine does not reflect Christian teaching as we understand it. It makes me crazy if somebody ever accuses me of not being Christian. And the name of the church says it all right there. Why are Americans in such disagreement about the Mormon church? They would love to take over the world, and I think they believe that they will someday do it. There's a lot of rumors out there, and most of them without basis. Every single thing connected to Mormonism is a byproduct of the embodiment of Joseph Smith. He had been dragged from his home in an effort to kill him, and a Protestant minister was a member of that mob. Today, Protestant leaders reject Joseph Smith as a false prophet. You can't understand the challenge facing Mitt Romney until you know the untold story of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. Explore the controversy surrounding Joseph Smith and the Mormon quest for the White House. Prophet of God, polygamist, politician, 
Who was Joseph Smith? Joseph Smith is a puzzle. Larger than life. I would say Christ-like. It would have to be Charlotte. He was a mighty prophet. A mighty prophet of God. Join the debate, the drama. Make your decision. Is America ready for a Mormon president? There's something really amazing in my Diet Coke. I, it's giving me some kind of message right now. <laughs> Just we'll, be, we'll be back to talk about these. Okay, so we left off with Mormonism A to Z. You can get it www.hotm.tv. Uh, listen, that's 700 pages of great information, logical arguments regarding the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. Um, before the book hits the bookstores, uh, we're offering it to our viewers at a discount. From what I understand, they're making me sign pre-sale copies, which will only devalue the product in my estimation. But anyway, the book uh, retail price in the stores is $34.95. That doesn't include shipping if you get it online. You can get one mailed to your house. That's going to arrive. Listen, it's going to arrive sometime in mid-December before Christmas. Not before. It's a pre-sale, for goodness sake. A pre-sale. So it's going to come to you right before Christmas in time for you to wrap it and give it to somebody. And uh, we are asking 30 bucks donation for it. Uh, that includes shipping. So it's quite a bargain. Um, you can get a Mormon president, Mormonism A to Z, girl, any of the other books at hotm.tv. And if you're not internet savvy, you can write us at 4760 Highland Drive, number 515 Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. Make sure you tell us what products you want. Why am I putting so much emphasis on this? It's because our, our back office people have gray hair now because you guys order the thing, it's a pre-sale, and then you call the next day. Is it, is it coming yet? Is it coming yet? No! It's going to take a little while. It's a pre-sale. All right. Now, we have openly been asking any official representative of the LDS Church, BYU professors of religion, Mr. Scott Gordon Affairs, uh, the, and the new Mormon Defense League, LDS defender Jeff Lindsay, the Book of Mormon Answer Man, to present the truth of Mormonism here on the show. We'll give them the full hour. I won't even be here. They can tell the whole world that watches our show the truth. Here's the gig. We keep getting these other guys who write and say, I should be on your show. I should, how come you're not inviting me? Why aren't you inviting me? And most of them are just these guys who like to be, think that they defend the Mormon church. Uh, look at, this is how it is. If your own church doesn't recognize you as a defender or an apologist, why should we? Um, like our callers, you could get up here and say anything you want on the hour that we would give you. And, and, and. We would have no way to stop it. And then once it's there, you, people would say that's not true or that's true. When we have an official representative, a BYU professor, Scott Gordon Affairs, we have them on the spot. And they have to speak the truth. That's why they don't come on. You want to come on and you want to spin this with your own ridiculous insights, but they're not really true. So that's why we don't have you guys come on the show. Do you get it? Here's how the game works with the Mormon church. You gotta understand. If you're some guy who's got a blog and you're able to get some attention and it benefits the LDS church, they'll let you keep it. They're just like, let the guy, throw him a bone, go ahead, blog, blog. But 
if you do something to, uh, to insult them or threaten them, they will say he's not or she's not an official representative of the church. That's the game they play. So, therefore, as informed and intelligent and smart and rhetorically gifted as all you guys and girls are, or at least as you seem to think you are, your opinions absolutely carry no weight with the church in which you belong. So, therefore, they don't carry any weight with us. How about a moment from the word? Last week we started off uh, through the Gospel of John and we read the first uh, verses in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning was uh, God, all things were made by Him, without Him was not anything made that was made. And then we talked about verse 14 and the Word became flesh. Tonight we're going to move through verses 11 through 13 of chapter 1, which uh, speaking of Jesus it says, He came unto His own and His own received Him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, in Mormonism, they teach a very powerful and persuasive doctrine called the premortal existence. And this doctrine states that everybody who lives on earth came from this premortal existence where we were birthed by our Heavenly Father, siring Heavenly Mothers, and they gave birth to our spirits. And so Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, or Heavenly Mothers, depending on who you read, they produced all of us spiritually before we came here. And then when we came here, we are literally born His children. That's the doctrine. And they sing, I am a child of God. He has sent me here, has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. When I was in primary, I used to yell out, Italian version. And all my friends would say, a lead a me, a guide a me, a walk a me, a side a me, a help a me, a find on the way. Uh, of course, I always got in trouble at that point. But anyway, that is what they would teach, that we came from source. So therefore, we are born literally children of God. This is one of the more difficult teachings for people who've come out of LD, uh, the Mormon church to let go of because it is so entertaining. It's kind of logical, too. Because, I mean, if we call God the Father, our Father, you, see, you pray, Heavenly Father, automatically, and He created us, or God created us, we think we are His children. But that's not true. It's absolutely wrong, and that's why we read those verses to you. See, when the world fell into sin, all mankind, women, men, children, everybody, we die. We came into this world and we're dead spiritually. So he's not, God is a spirit. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. Well, we are separated from him now. And so we're spiritually dead. So human beings, when they come into this world, we're not born children of God. We're born just like animals, really. We're bipartite creations. We have a, we have a body and we have a soul. In the Greek, that's the suke, that's the mind, the will, and the emotions. And that's what we operate by till Jesus, remember he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. When you're born again, then you become a child of God. So um, this is the reason our passage said, He, Jesus, came to his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. But, it says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
See, we become the sons and daughters of God through faith on his son. This is rebirth. And this is when we're spiritually reborn, regenerated, and we become the God, the spirit, his literal offspring. So um, to clarify how we are made the father's children, John makes it clear in verse uh, 13. Listen, it says, which were born, these are the people who believed, which were born not of blood, this means not by the natural birth or through family lines, nor of the will of the flesh. That means not through our own attempts, our own will wishing, hey, I want to be a son of God. I want to be a child of God. We can't wish it. Nor through the will of man. That means not through religious attempts or religious methods, but of God. Okay? So we are, we are adopted by God, friends. It is not a birthright nor a right by virtue of a pre-existent fable. With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, and I'm so grateful to be able to call you Father because you have given new life spiritually to uh, me and all those who can call you Father. Lord, we we come to you and we pray that you'll be with us, help our audience wherever they may be, help those who are seeking for truth, uh, our callers, uh, people who volunteer and help, staff. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Last week, we showed you the two verifiable methods by which the founding prophet of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, translated the golden plates. The first one was by a rock in the hat. Remember, we talked about that. And the second one was through what Joseph Smith said came in the box, stone box with the plates. And he said it was a Urim and Thummim. And he wore this, he said that this breastplate was put on and then the glasses were there and then he would look at the plates and his mom said by doing that he could translate ancient languages into English. So those are the two means by which Joseph Smith uh, translated the uh, Book of Mormon. Let's talk about the actual translation tonight. At this juncture, ask yourself this. Was the Book of Mormon a literal translation of an ancient language written on golden plates, or, listen carefully, or was it a spiritual transmission given by God to Joseph who didn't need any of these things to produce the book. It just came by revelation to Joseph and he dictated the story. Stay with me. If the Book of Mormon was a literal translation, that means Joseph looked at the inscribed characters through his glasses and he actually said, okay, that mark means, and it came to pass. And so they'd write, and it came to pass. I, Nephi, haven't been born of goodly parents. And then the scribe writes that if that's how it was translated, then we can attribute the mistakes that were in the first vision, I mean the first edition of the Book of Mormon, to him. Uh, even if the Urim and Thummim was aiding him, it was his problem because he was actually doing the translating. However, if the Book of Mormon was translated by direct revelation, meaning from God's mouth to Joseph's ear, then the problems and the mistakes in the first edition were God's fault. See, translators can make mistakes. Bible translators make mistakes. They take the text, they look at it, they use all their knowledge, and they translate it into another language. 
in the case of the Bible, there have been thousands and thousands of trained hands and eyes and ears of men and women who understand the languages. They have looked at the manuscripts that have been handed down and they can check on each other, double check on translated words and make improvements to the text. With the aid and guide of the Holy Spirit working upon these men and women who are trained in these languages and cultures of the Hebrews and the Greeks, we have a living example of how God works with humanity. This is how he works. He works through his influence, the Holy Spirit, and he works through flesh and blood doing things. Okay? That's how God works. And this method is supported by the very fact that he saved mankind through a real flesh and blood manifestation of himself, Jesus Christ. He didn't save us by some mystical metaphysical means. He saved us by a literal way, coming here, living among us, dying for us. It's spiritual, 100% God, and physical, 100% man. And so that's how God works. But when men start transmitting books via mystical means, uh, through inspirations and dreams and visions and having revelations and automatic writings and divine uh, revelations, like supposedly Muhammad did when he was in the cave, or uh, William Case, I think that was his name, had when he would go into trances, or Joseph Smith would get when he was receiving his revelation for the Book of Mormon, then we have products of men, not of God. So how did Joseph produce the Book of Mormon, really? As a child and a teen and an adult, the Mormon Corporation and all their devoted employees led me to believe it occurred through the means God provided. Through the golden plates being on a table and Joseph taking the Urim and Thummim and reading the engravings through them and translating it into English. Look at Kosiet. This is the recent ensign. Look at this picture. This picture depicts what I just said they teach. It's Joseph sitting at a table. He's looking at the golden plates. And down here, there are, down here are his writings. So they make it look to us like this is how the Book of Mormon came to be. Uh, listen carefully. The things God supposedly provided, the golden plates, the supposed Urim and Thummim that God provided for the translation, uh, of the Book of Mormon were not part of creating the book at all. At all. This is absolutely true. All the time and trouble Mormon and Moroni supposedly went to and others to inscribe upon metal plates vast amounts of them and then condense them down into an abridged version on golden plates never used. All the craftsmanship Jesus supposedly went to 600 years B.C. to create these to give them to this, uh, this uh, brother of Jared who passed them down through the Book of Mormon to finally be put in the box and given to Joseph Smith. Never used. They're never used. Why? They were props, my friend. And Joseph made them up as he went. And when, he, when they became unnecessary, he didn't even use them. He didn't even bother to. Anyone involved in sales or teaching or marketing knows that when you're preparing to do something, you'll make props, aids, to try to help facilitate in what you're going to do. And sometimes you find out that the prop you have made does, causes more trouble and does less for you than good, and so you don't even use the thing you made. 
Okay, now we have a living example of that right here. When I started out to embark on, on uh, doing the Mormon thing, I went to uh, Kinko's and I had these made. This says cultivating religious fraud. That's the first one. These things were fairly expensive to tell you the truth. And then I laid out all the stuff that we were gonna do over here. And then I did another one showing you the onion for the Book of Mormonian. And then I did another one over here showing how we we're gonna break down the Book of Mormon and study it. And you know what? I've only used these things in 26 weeks about three times. The first one, I don't even use. It's a, it was a waste of like 70 bucks. I mean, that's how much it costs to do it. But in my mind, I thought I'm gonna need these to really help people see what I'm doing. But when it came down to it, they, I never used them. I mean, I'm gonna very rarely use them. This is a living example of what Joseph did. He told a story. He needed props. As the story moved along, the props became useless. He's behind a curtain, probably holding these up for the first week, looking around. I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, starts picking his ear. I'm not putting this on anymore. I mean, that's exactly how it went. You think I'm making it up, don't you? Well, let me prove to you I'm not. It's acceptable when we're making a sales presentation or we're trying to teach to have props we don't use. It's not acceptable when someone says God had these things handed down to him. An angel revealed where they were. He had to wait four years to get them. And then when he gets them, supposedly, he doesn't ever need them. Um, this is exactly what happened to Joseph Smith. He never used them. And he ended up translating, supposedly translating, the entire Book of Mormon through two means. One, a rock that he used to hunt for treasure with his dad and that he used to find the plates themselves as attested by historical statements last week in a hat dictating what the book should say. I believe that in that hat he had his crib sheet and he had his outline for the day. And he was smart enough to know what the story was going to be. He talked, when you read other uh, quotes from Joseph Smith, at the same time when he was supposedly translating the Book of Mormon, the quotes that he gave just about common everyday things were very much in Book of Mormon language. He would talk like he was actually in the Book of Mormon times writing. This is how the Book of Mormon was translated and or by standing there and having it revealed to him directly. If you don't believe me, let me end and give you some quotes. Joseph uh, David Whitmer, one of the eight witnesses of the plate said, quote, he did not use the plates in the translation, but would hold the interpreters to his eyes and cover his face with a hat. Joseph Smith's good friend, Joseph Knight said, quote, now the way he translated was he put the Urim and Thummim, and he was referring to the rock there, into his hat and darkened his eyes. Then he would take a sentence and it would appear in the bright Roman letters. Then he would tell the writer and he would write it. Then that would go away. The next sentence would come and go, and so on. Spelling was correct. But if it was not spelt right, it would not go away till it was true. So we see it was marvelous. This was the whole translated, meaning this was how the whole thing was translated. By this means, you got to understand from that quote, Joseph read, and the words wouldn't go away until they were correct. 
and then they would continue and go on. In Doctrine and Covenants uh, section 17, God himself says in a revelation to Joseph that the book is true. True means dead on. Now, when we start reading from the first edition, you're going to have a hard time believing what God translated to Joseph through the letters that appeared and, uh, and wouldn't disappear unless it was written correctly. BYU professor Nels L. Nelson said this, listen, Joseph Smith did not look directly at the plates while translating. In fact, the plates, while they were in possession of the prophet, were probably not immediately at hand with him during most of the translation process. All the time in trouble, and they weren't even there. Two LDS scholars, Van Wagner and Walker, concluded the prophet, his face in a hat to exclude exterior light, would have been unable to view the plates directly, even if they had been with him and present during the interpretation. Essentially, they were saying the plates were never used. The plates weren't used. It was too much trouble. They were too heavy. He created them. They were too cumbersome. People wanted them. He hid them away, got his rock, got his hat, had his outline he had worked on for about six years, and he produced a book, and the first edition shows it was the product of man. We know that well before Joseph even got the plates, that he had in his mind what things were all about. Remember what his mother said? Listen, quote, Joseph would occasionally give us some of the most amusing recitals that could be imagined. He would describe the ancient inhabitants of their continent, their dress, mode of traveling, and the animals upon which they rode, their cities, their buildings, and with particular their mode of warfare and also their religious worship. This he would do with much ease, seemingly as if he had spent his whole life among them. That was well before he ever received the golden plates. Speaking of Smith's ability to translate without using the plates, Richard C. Evans, a longtime member of the, LD, of the first presidency of the reorganized LDS Church, now called the Community of Christ, who believe in the Book of Mormon, said, quote, This is evidently why Smith did not require the plates to be in his hat when he translated, but they could lie covered up on a table or even be in the woods when he did the job, as testified by his wife Emma and her father Isaac Hales, who tells of his talking through his hat. And what was in his hat? I told you what was in his hat was this rock that supposedly led him to the plates and to buried treasure. Joseph Smith said in History of the Church that the Book of Mormon is the most correct of any book on earth. Listen, the only conclusion we can come to here, looking and hearing at all these facts uh, about his transmission, not his translation. He wasn't looking at plates. He received it by virtue of osmosis, is that God messed up. God gave him the wrong words in places that were later changed. He gave him the wrong spelling. He gave him the wrong everything. 3,976, I think, changes that Sandra and Gerald Tanner found, and many more or less in other places. Some, many of them, not punctuation. God translated this, said in Doctrine and Covenants 17, the book is true. He messed up in telling Joseph what to say. And if the letters actually did show up in a hat, he messed up by God's spelling was off because the, the, this supposedly didn't change until it was written down correctly. I mean, we got a whole bunch of problems here. And this is the book that they, that they, that they do whole magazines on. 
and put them out there all about the Book of Mormon that Apostle Holland gets up and says it's just this miraculous book. It is not. It's a con. And it's an introductory drug to a false gospel. You, we're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-TB20, 801-973-8820. We uh, rely solely on your support to stay on the air. If you are so inclined by the Lord, consider the following. It's going to take about four minutes. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is part of the matter done. where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face, and I'm your host, Sean McLeese. If you have friends, Always loved me. I know he shared 
my story with his ministry and those that followed him and from that came a lot of prayer for me. And from those prayers, somehow along the way I came to know God. I came to understand that I need Christ as my Savior fully every day, every second. I praise him for my dad and his ministry and all those prayers. Okay, I, I just want you to get a picture because it was a white, it was a white stovepipe hat. It was a breastplate like this. It did have an arm that led up, and they did have the guy. You know, this, who's that guy? I'm up on the tight wire. He's a singer, anyway. Looks just like him. Okay, uh, we have Barbara. Uh, she's LDS from South Jordan, Utah. Barbara, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, Sean. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? God, you're lovely. Uh, hey, I um, have been a member of the church, raised in the church, been a member pretty active my whole life. Uh-huh. Um, I just had a question about, a personal question for you. Yes. When you were a member of the church and you worked for many years, how did you consider yourself having spiritual experiences during those years? And, and how, you know, how do you deal with, with those times that you felt like you were having spiritual experiences, did you think you did, or, or you know, yeah. I, I'm just curious. I, I have this inner struggle with. Um, there's some about the church, so many things about the church I'm struggling with. I think it's a church of um, guilt, um, but yet there's times that I feel like I, you know, have that spirit testify to me. I'm just wondering how what your opinion is on that. Barbara, uh, it's a good question. Yes, I do feel uh, that and felt uh, in the way I was taught to feel that I was having spiritual experiences. And I know some of them were uh, genuinely of God. Uh, God loves the just and the unjust. Jesus says he sends the rain down upon the good and the evil. That he, uh, he loves the Mormons for sure. I mean, these are people who have a heart for, they have a heart for uh, wanting to do right. They just got it mixed up like it says in Romans 10. So I know that the Lord loves uh, LDS people, and I know that some LDS people are saved, and I know that he works with all people. He works with atheists and Buddhists and Muslims and Catholics. So I did have experiences in there, and if they were teaching of Jesus and the story was true and it was out of the Bible or whatever, of course, I'm going to resonate to that, and you would too. The problem is those experiences are melded in with the cultural and the, the social and then the, the absolutely contrary teachings where you might sit and go, oh, I'm not so sure about that one, but I have had experiences, so therefore the church must be true. And that's where you can get into trouble. That's why we have the Bible, which if you start to get taught, if, if people are being taught something that is off, you can open the word and find out whether it's true or not. And that's where the Mormons fail. That's great. Hey, I appreciate it so much. You keep going, girl. I mean, the Lord loves you, and he will reveal himself. You just keep opening your heart and mind to him every day, and uh, he will lead you, my sister. Thank you so much. Oh, listen, yeah. if, you stay on, if you stay on the line, we'll send you a book. Sounds great. Thank okay. you. Okay, hold on. This thing's about to stab me in the eye. I'm amazed Joseph Smith didn't wear a patch at the end of it all. I can't take this hat anymore either.
All the things we'll do to, 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 to throw out a con. All right, Joe in Salt Lake City is LDS. Joe, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, buddy. How you doing? I got a little answer there, but I hope you... Um, I want to know what's your evidence that the Mormon is not true. The best evidence I have that the Mormon church is not true is certainly not in their, um, in their leadership. It's certainly not in the way they live their lives, generally speaking, the ones who really adhere to it. It's certainly not in the, um, in the way they uh, do their meetings and the way all that happens. The, the best evidence is in their doctrine. I didn't leave the church because I had a problem with the people. In fact, I, I really like the people. Um, but my, the best evidence is in doctrine and doctrine alone. And so when you take that stuff and you lay it out on a table and you open up this book, you got to make a decision, truly. Which one are you going to believe? The guy who wore the stovepipe and looked in and translated and came up with the revelations and polygamy and temples and everything? Or what the Bible says? And that is the best evidence. Okay, because if I was a lawyer looking at uh, the Christian denominations and the Mormon church, I've been a Mormon a long but I would need solid evidence to, to prove to me, like in a court of law, that there's something that they're doing that's not exactly. aligned with God. Yeah, you know, the, here's the thing, too. It's kind of the problem, Joe, and your phone is cutting in and out, and it's really horrible to people so i'm gonna cut it out and just listen on the air okay okay here's the problem is joe you say you're a lawyer or if you're a lawyer you look at the christian church and you say okay i'm gonna judge this and here's the mormon church and i'm gonna judge that and i'm gonna weigh them out okay the things of this world what men and women naturally respond to are things that are uh really well done things that are powerful, things that are mighty, things that are strong, things that are wealthy, things that are attractive, uh, and all the stuff that they do. If you see a Christian commercial by a local church that has a budget of 30 grand versus a multi-billion dollar uh, conglomerate religion, you're going to say that uh, the commercials that that conglomerate produces are pretty darn impressive versus that thing is podunk. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not built upon the strong things of the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is built upon the weak. And this is what people get confused, and that's why Mormonism is so influential. I mean, you take Mitt Romney, you put him up here with me, I mean, that guy, he looks like a god, and he thinks he will be. And that's attractive to people. We want leaders to look like that. Richard Nixon, John F. Kennedy, first televised debate, Kennedy won, even though Nixon's arguments were just as good, because Kennedy was handsome. You see, and so we look our, with our eyes. We judge according to how men appear. But God says in Corinthians, I, I choose the weak and the, and the base things and the foolish things to prove the mighty wise, you see. And that's why the, church, the Christian church struggles financially. Their people sometimes are pretty rough around the edges because, you know, they have some drinking problems. They'll smoke cigarettes between the services. They're drinking coffee like mad. And, and the Mormons are just like perfectly, oh, yeah, I'm a good person. And, and you just look at that and you say, gosh, you cannot, from God's perspective of the Bible, ever judge in that way. You have to judge by, a, by, a, by the faith the group has in, not in the religion, in the Lord. 
and collectively you weigh what is the faith that the people have in Jesus, not in the religion, not in the institution, not in the prophet, not in the Book of Mormon, in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then what love do they show having said they have that faith, you see? For instance, to give you one example, we'll go to the next call. Somebody leaves a Christian church and says, you know, I think I'm going to go back to my snorting cocaine days. Those people who are in that church would say, come on and come back. And that person says, you know, I don't even believe in God. Those people, if they're true, will say, we love you. You come back. And that person says, I'm not going to come back to you. I'm going to go to the Baptist. They'll say, go to the Baptist. You leave the Mormon church and you say, I don't believe the Mormon church. You are gone. It's over. And you go to another church. It's worse. I had my own brother tell me he would rather have his daughter, a drug-addicted street person, than to become a born-again Christian. Because being Mormon or being nothing is far more important than embracing another faith. That is not Christian love. You see, so we're talking about a lot of different perspectives that the world isn't going to understand unless you open up the book. Okay, let's go to uh, Melissa in Aspen, Pennsylvania. We have uh, another call from Delroy, Florida. How are the Kinderhook plates translated? We're going to get to that in a few, or actually more than a few weeks, but we'll get to it, I promise you. Melissa, Aspen, PA, how you doing? Melissa? Melissa? Hello? You're on the air. Hi, Sean. Hi. Um, I'm calling from Pennsylvania. I just want to say I've been a member of the LDS Church for 20 years. Uh -huh. um, I love the Book of Mormon. I've read it numerous, over 30 times, cover to cover. 30? Um, over 30 times. Whoa. Um, I believe it was the Word of God. Um, was never never allowed myself to question anything, um, and this past year has been a turning point, and I'm questioning everything. And um, in June, I started watching your show, and um, last month I saw um, I watched Earl on your show, and he gave me the courage to write my resignation letter to the church. Wow! Um, as I've been dealing with my doubts. Um, since January, the church leaders have been coming after me full force. They have attacked me. They have um, harassed me. They have done everything to get me to come back to the church. Um, and I have not backed down. Um, on June 12th, I, I, I quit to Christ as my Savior. Wow, praise God. And two days later, I realized that I couldn't do this alone because the church had such a tight grip on me that I just sat in my room and cried and prayed for God to send me help um, because I knew I'd go back. I knew they would draw me right back in mm -hmm. um, with the eternal consequences mm -hmm. of burning in hell. Mm -hmm. And my only sin was visiting a Christian church. Mm -hmm. And um, as of today, I'm officially a, a non-member. Um, the church has processed my request, and I am out of the church. Hmm. And I wanted to thank you. I know you have a lot of people calling the show and yelling at you, and I just wanted to call and thank you and Earl and everyone who has been there. Your ministry has really helped me. And in those dark days when they were telling me I would lose my family forever, you're, you stood with me. And I watched your shows over and over again to help me get through it. Mm 
And um, as of today, I'm officially out. And I wanted to thank you and tell you personally, thank you for everything. Melissa? Help me. Melissa? Yes? I can assure you, I can promise you, uh, as I stand here today, that you continue, you, give, you have given your life to Christ. He will lead you out. It is hard. It can be tough. And you will have doubts. They will come. The enemy wants you to become uh, uprooted. And he wants you to wander about wondering. Don't let him go. Don't let the Lord go. Let me go. Let Mormons go. Let people who tick you off go. But don't let him go. Open up your Bible. I know you've probably been doing that. Start reading in the Gospel of John. Keep going to find a good Bible teaching church out there. If you can, I know in Pennsylvania, that's where I serve my, my Mormon mission, so this is great. And, and you are going to have a lot of people praying for you. My sister, please contact us by email if you have specific questions. We'll get right on it. Do you have our uh, book and stuff? Have your what? Ha have our books? Um, not yet. I'm working on your, your new one. Okay, we're gonna, we want to send that stuff out to you, and, and Derek always sends a Bible out. So stay on, uh, on the line, and we want to get your address and get that stuff out to you, my sister. Thank you. And I mean my sister in the most literal sense now. Okay, God bless you. Hold on. God bless you, too. Thank you. Okay. Um, what an awesome call. Keep Melissa of Pennsylvania in your prayers. Anybody who's come out, anybody who's wondering and is coming out, you know, we come through dark times in the ministry. We have, we had a woman just crying her brains out who helps the ministry about two hours ago, just bawling her guts out. And it's tough. We, there's spiritual warfare here because Satan doesn't want people coming to the Lord. They want, he wants you to sit there and be, you know, fat, dumb, and happy with a religion that meets all your needs. But I tell you, there's nothing like coming to him and having him be your only king and you put all your faith and trust in him and him alone, you will never, and you can say that honestly, never, ever be the same. We're going to go to Trevor in Delroy, Florida, first-time caller. Trevor, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, yes. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. I, I just want to say uh, um, thank you so much for your, your ministry already. Just hearing from the last caller, Melissa, I mean, you just really impact a lot of people, and, and even from um, what uh, Melissa said, it just sounds like there's a, a strong grip from the church that uh, kind of keeps people from, from having an easier time to leave, but uh, I, I, I would say from, a, from my Christian perspective on just what you showed earlier in your program about the Unum and Thelman, you know, part of those tools look so ridiculous to me, and how is it for a Mormon, that they, when they hear this, it becomes so believable. Is it maybe the fear of, well, if they don't have the Mormon faith and all these bad things happen to them? Or, from the Mormon perspective, is it more about, you know, uh, they, I guess, get all these great advantages of being a Mormon and being their own God soon one day with all their family relatives and, and baptizing, you know, their dead so that they can be with them in, in, in heaven. So I, I don't know from, from that perspective, what, why is it so believable? Well, let me help you with that if I can. And this is my best explanation, Trevor. It's not just a single aspect. It's like a hub and spoke. 
and you have the hub, and that is you as a member of the LDS church. And then you have, if you're not a convert and you were born in it, you have all the teachings you had from a child in primary and singing their songs and the way you feel about Book of Mormon stories and the prophet, etc. You have testimonies that you are encouraged to give up, get up and say when you're just yay high, just a wee child. And you're encouraged to say those and they're whispered into your ears. So you got that going. You have activities, another spoke, that are fun. They have Christmas and Thanksgiving and they have all kinds of ward activities and youth when you become a teenager. Those activities, they are, they are, they're, it's just like a really good boys or girls club and it's financed and there's people who are interested in your welfare and you're, they process you through and it's a very uplifting and it's a very supportive system that pushes you through. All the while they're whispering to you, temple, temple, and the promise that your family can be together forever. And if you marry in the temple, your children will be sealed to you forever. Now that really taps into the pride and fears, especially that mothers and fathers have. You have a little baby who gets a cold. You love to know that they're sealed to you forever. And so you have that spoke going in there. Then you have the teachings that if you ever leave the church, you will lose your blessings. You will lose your salvation. You will, in this state, sometimes lose your family, and in other states, your job. You'll lose all sorts of things, so you have a fear factor built in there. Then they get you to go on a mission. They get you to go into the temple, and you do oaths where you raise your hand, and you swear in front of God, angels, and everybody who's witnessing it, that's how it's worded, that you will keep all the covenants you make within it so that you have more fear factors, and you have garments you're wearing every day. Then you have the reminder, now you're an adult and your kids are starting to be born and you have the reminder, if you bail, your kids will go south. And guess what? They often do because the kids are taught the church is true. The Mormon fam the couples leave and the kids are like, what's true? Give me the J, give me the drink, give me the chick. And so then they look at those who leave and they say, see what happens, see what happens. That's why it's so vitally important, Trevor, that people who come out of Mormonism come out because they have found the Lord. They have no, they come to know who he is. And when they leave, they have his strength to carry them through. There's websites right now that they thrive off ex-Mormons and they get on there. And when you see them come out without Jesus, they are atheists, they're bitter, they're hateful, they're spiteful because they've been lied to, but they have been, dis they've discounted the true and living God. Does that help? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And it just sounds like uh, there is such a big indoctrination factor there really that, is. Um, you know, choosing not to believe in the Uman and Thalman, which could seem ridiculous, it's better to hold on to that than to fear losing your job and your kid's salvation. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So It, it takes a very courageous was, person, Trevor. It takes courage for people to say, okay, I'm not going to believe the voices that have been in my head for all these years that say, I'm going to go to hell, I'm going to lose this, it takes, and I'm going to trust Jesus. It takes huge courage. And so those who do it, uh, you know, it, it really is an amazing miracle when we see it happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Keep well, us in your prayers, my brother. All right. Uh, you're, you're doing a great ministry. I'm, I'm uh, very fortunate to come to talk with you, and uh, uh, I'm glad to support you. Thanks, Trevor. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to go with Bob in Salt Lake City. Bob, you have two minutes. I'm sorry. Okay. You're on the air. Okay, I was just wondering, how come, then my first caller, uh, how come when a Mormon gets hurt or injured in another state or something, the news publicize about the Mormons and not like Christians, and then they say like, 
the saints won the war and they're always talking about the Mormons and stuff instead of like the Christians and stuff. I, I can't understand that. Uh, well, one, the LDS Church uh, is, is, is run by some very astute businessmen. They have a PR department. They give a lot of money to PR, and they do press releases, and they, they have PR firms that they hire, and it helps them keep themselves in a positive light out into the community and through the media. They own, I mean, they own the media here, essentially, KSL. I, I mean, I don't know that they literally own it or have ownership of it, but I believe they do. I mean, they have ownership in this stuff, and so they're able to feed the machine. And uh, that's why they're always mentioned. Who's going to mention, you know, a little Baptist church unless you got some idiot Baptist out there or Catholic or, or Presbyterian saying something ridiculous, you know? So the, the small churches very rarely get news unless you're not Joel Osteen, and, and then you got him getting some coverage. But they cover the big stuff, and Mormonism's big. Yeah, and that's all. I'm just bombarded. I turn on the news, either that or, or one of the other channels, like, yeah, don't watch the don't watch uh, KSL in this state. Hey, thanks for wa thanks for watching, Bob. Hey, God, thanks and God bless you. God bless you. Bye bye. Uh, we got to go to uh, uh, first time caller Joe and Bountiful. Joe, you've got one minute, fifty five seconds. Joe, you're on the air. Hi, this is Joe. You're on the air. Coming in, Gray Goat Joe from the congregation. I just wanted to make a quick comment about the young lady from Pennsylvania. Yes. And just to remind her that uh, uh, blessings come in very difficult ways, and I've learned this personally, and that's what it's, that's what it's meant by uh, being broken. And to just keep following the word. And I love your program, man. Thanks, Joe. God bless you. God bless you too, sir. Bye-bye. We have a question here from Brittany. How do you feel? What do you think about saved? Uh, once saved, always saved. Do you believe salvation can be lost? Uh, Brittany, salvation cannot, cannot, cannot be lost. You know exactly where you left it. Um, and that really upsets some people. Uh, I want to tell you something. There's too many passages of Scripture that say you can leave it. Now, that leaving it is a one-time deal, and I think it very rarely happens. Salvation is not lost because you fall back into sin. Salvation is not lost because you don't live perfectly. Salvation isn't lost because you wonder if God is really there sometimes, even as a Christian. Your salvation wasn't earned by those means. Your salvation was earned by your faith, and we waver, and we fail, and we sin. Salvation is not lost by those means, but there are people who haven't tasted the fruit of God, having really understood who he was, will say, they're few and far between, they will say, I don't want you. And that is where they leave it. It's left that way. So when we teach the once saved, always saved, there's a caveat to that. Freedom. God gives everybody the right to say, I want to walk. And every now and then, I would imagine in the course of history, people do. Next week, can join us with us as we continue on examining the Book of Mormonian. See ya. Happy birthday, Mary. Break my